Superheroes, they are the staple of comic books. When you think of comic books, you think about the heroes, but you can't have a great hero without a great villain. And today we're going to be looking at our favorite villains. This is a Kirby Club produced episode from one of our amazing patrons, Eric. He is uh, not able to join us today, but he did task us with breaking down our favorite villains. And when I say R, I am referring to the R in Remzo Martinez, my co-host. Remzo, what's up? You can't spell villainy without villain, and the villains that you and I have gone ahead and put together today should go ahead and make anyone's recommended villain reading list extra sinister this Thanksgiving. Indeed, indeed. And there are, this was actually really hard for me because I, I don't know about you, I'm kind of a villain guy. Like, I, I like, I kind of like villains. My, my soul is black. This took me two seconds. <laughs> well, no, I mean, what was hard for me was just, just, just deciding which ones to keep on my very short list as opposed to, and I'm glad we decided like Eric first wanted us to just give our favorite and we do end up having a favorite here cause we each have a list. Uh, but to me, I was, I was glad we decided to at least expand it a little bit and do three each because like, I mean, I have like 50, I'm, I'm trying to sort out. Like I just, I love villains and I probably, I have probably have more favorite villains than I do favorite heroes when it comes down to it. So can I guess that killer strike is one of them? <laughs> man i almost forgot about good old Talk killer strike throwback. i've been thinking about it he's, all day he's number 49 yeah, he's like my 50 <laughs> he's right there like nice, he's nice. low enough to be considered dumb but at least he's in the countdown so he's still sinister kinda i like it i think he deserves to be there he deserves a mention if nothing else yeah. Um, yes, but this episode is being brought to you, like I mentioned, by the Kirby Club. And we actually have two Kirby Club members now. Uh, Jeffrey, you'll be hearing his episode next month. But this month is, I think it's actually Eric's third Kirby Club produced episode. The first two, we looked at Days of Future Past and uh, the Dark Phoenix. No, not, not Days of Future Past. We looked at the Phoenix the Saga the and the... Yes, the Leprechauns, the Leprechaun Phoenix Saga and the sadly non-Leprechaun Dark Phoenix Saga. And now Eric has steered us in a slightly different direction than the uh, the Silver Age X-Men. And he has just wanted us to break down our favorite villains. And I'm really excited about it. Um, of course, you too can produce an episode of your own for a measly 50 smackers a month by joining the Kirby Club over at Patreon, patreon.com slash second print pod. Of course, you don't need 50 bucks to join the Patreon. You can do it for as little as five bucks a month and for that you get access to all of our exclusive bonus audio content like Remzo rants like what mark missed like the now defunct random marvel comics podcast because marvel unlimited took away their random button which is very sad uh but we do our best to get you guys consistent uh bonus content for your buck so please do check that out but that being said today i think it's time to dive right in Remzo. Uh, would you like to begin now? I know, I know you had a list of three, but I also confess to you that I, I couldn't even quite manage three. So I also have an honorable mention as well. Do you have one? Yes, I do. I thought we'd go right. ahead and start this, uh, bloody and mercilessly. Uh, when it comes to a villain, I only look for a few, a few things to, to qualify them. Oh yeah, that's right. You always have criteria where I'm just kind of free, freewheeling here, but uh, let's hear it. My, my, my criteria is this. Often we go ahead and we look at these villains and we try and make excuses for them. We try and find this quote unquote <laughs> humanity in them. I want the bastards that straight up know they're evil, choose to be evil and love being evil and have also mm. committed some of the most heinous acts. So the fact that this guy is my honorary mention should let you know the caliber a super sinister comic book villain that I'm going with. My honorary mention to kick things off is Negan from The Walking Dead. Interesting. A, a non-superpowered villain, but a villain nonetheless. Although you could even argue um, as you go along the story in the, the comic book Walking Dead, at some point, Negan actually does become one of those villains you can almost sort of start to make excuses for if you get deep enough on this. Almost. It takes a while, but I mean, ultimately all it does is it, it really doubles down on the fact that this is a person who has chosen to be evil. And I'll never forget the first time I ever laid 
laid my eyes on Negan. I was watching season three of The Walking Dead, already getting attached to too many characters who were going to become zombified or detached at some point, physically or emotionally. They brought him in that early in season three? Well, no, he, he came in a bit later, but this is when he got introduced in the comics. It was around season three of The Walking Dead. I uh, gotcha. So yeah. around this time, I was trying to decide like how much of the comics influenced the TV show and vice versa. And this is when, and, and this, this is full of spoilers as always. So please, you know, muffins on your ears, hide your kids, hide your husband, hide your wife. If you've uh, been living under a rock for the last decade, but um, Negan, when he went ahead and got Rick's crew and basically, you know, eeny miny mowed them into pissing themselves when he <laughs> murdered Glenn and Glenn was my favorite. Uh, at that point, second, probably only a Daryl um, when he beat Glenn in front of Maggie and Carl and the rest of his friends. And you see his eye come out and Egan's like, oh, gross, got to fix that. And he's just beating the shit out of him with Lucille. Um, that's when I knew we're dealing with a bad motherfucker. But I'm like, you know, that's just the comics like they obviously wouldn't do that in the show. And then several seasons later, around 2016, what do they do? They bring in Negan. And not only does he kill, um, not only does he kill um, that dude, but he kills several other members of Rick's crew. It's just it, it, it was it was just horrifying in the comics. And it was even more so when you actually hear the bat swing and the cracking of the skull and the blood spattering everywhere. And Glenn just like and then he's just dead like it just it just drove it home in a way that just verified that Negan is one of the most sick sons of bitches ever created I mean it's it's a nasty scene in the comic and it's like mostly off panel but it's just, it's just the the way they do the sounds and like you know what's happening it's just it it's it's one of the more effective villain making scenes in any medium in the comic I didn't see the TV version never got that far but I am from the sounds of it it was uh, had had similar oh, impact you got it you got just YouTube Negan kills Glenn what's really sp- and he kills he kills I don't want to spoil it but fuck it the show's been out for a while he kills Carl in that scene in the in the show too it, right? it, it was the redheaded guy he didn't kill Carl. Oh, okay. Son, no, he, he killed a handlebar mustache guy who was also pretty cool. Ah, okay. I, I'm really going to screw this up for some people, but often people have been wondering um, what Glenn's last words were when he got up and his eyes out and he's like, you know, his brain is exposed and he's like, um, Robert Kirkman confirmed that his last words were Maggie. I love you. Ah. And then Negan continued <laughs> to bash his skull in with Lucille. Oof. Have you ever read here's Negan? I have the first issue. Uh, after, I, I think there's only one. It's a one shot. So yes, yeah. you have the first and only issue. Yeah, I was wondering why they didn't come out. I'm waiting for number two. Like, did I miss something? <laughs> <laughs> Every week you're like, is it here yet? Yeah, uh, I, I read that and it was like, I get what they were trying to do. I don't think um, I, I don't think Image Comics was going to keep doing it because all the profit from that went straight to comic book stores. It was a relief special that they did. So I think Robert Kirkman has said that he'll con- that he might continue doing Here's Negan, but it'll have to be, you know, at, at some point later on. And uh, I think the conversations have kind of at least in, in terms of like, you know, comic book reporting have just kind of gone silent for a while. But it was good. I mean, I don't I don't like it when they do it to every villain. So I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I loved the approach they're doing with making Negan more of a sympathetic, you know, anti-hero type of guy like they tried to do. I want my Negan murder people and laughing and you know just being just a, a evil son of a bitch yeah i mean his portrayal in the walking dead comic is is one of the more dastardly at, at least until kind of towards the end of his run um he you know he kind of gets a little more sympathetic because he ends up sort of helping them out with the um the whisperer guys or whatever um but i mean even then you're you're kind of just expecting him to go bad any minute and then his story kind of gets you know he goes off into the sunset, so we never really know what has what happens to him. But uh, for the time that he was in full villain mode, I mean, it, it's hard to find someone that had more of a pure nasty streak in comics than Negan, I would say. Yeah, I mean, to have Jeffrey Dean Morgan go from the comedian in The Watchmen to uh, to then being cast as Negan. I mean, that was just perfect casting, too. I mean, it really drove it home. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, uh, we will move on to my honorable mention now. And. This was really hard because even with my honorable mention, I was like, you know, I had to spend a lot of time thinking about it. 
Um, but I, I wanted to at least have a representative from what really was one like probably my favorite hero. He wasn't my original favorite hero. My original favorite hero was really like an individual hero was Spider-Man, but that, that quickly morphed into Batman once I discovered Batman and, and just the fact that he didn't have powers, I just always thought was the coolest thing. Um, so, uh, and then of course, most of his villains also don't have powers, including my honorable mention, which is not who you might think it would be. It is not the Joker. It is two face. Good old, Harvey Dent. And um, I mean, I have I, I broke down a little bit of info for uh, for my guys here. But uh, so Two-Face uh, debuted in Detective Comics number 66 in 1942, I believe, uh, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Quick little origin story. His dad abused him and flipped a coin to decide his fate. Now, I didn't I, I don't remember if this is in the long Halloween. It was somewhere. But there is a story where you where where he where they do like a flashback where he realizes that his dad's coin had two heads on it. So this whole time his dad's flipping heads and tails, always landing heads and always resulting in in his abuse. Um, Whereas it was just always the two heads. So he's always going to get beat up every time. And I just think that is such an important little nugget that, um, you know, kind of, you know, parlays into what this character has be, has become. And I I think another thing I really like about Harvey Dent and, and to me, like, to me, um, as we discussed, Batman Year One is the canon origin of Batman, no matter what. Uh, therefore, Harvey Dent is, in my head canon anyway, um, always been sort of, before he became Two-Face, he was kind of like the Batman of DAs. Like, he's willing to work with Batman, willing to go a little... Do you almost see Harvey Dent and Two-Face as, like, two separate characters? I mean, yeah, and they kind of are. I mean, I don't know if you ever read All-Star Batman. Was that the, was that the Frank Miller one? No, no, it, it was one that came out um, not long after. Was this was this DC Rebirth? It was, yeah, it was around the DC Rebirth time, and it was, yeah, it had it had Ramita Junior drawing it, yeah, yes, 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 yeah, and that one they go into this whole thing where Batman is actually put on this path by Harvey Dent to like get this potion, this formula that was gonna like stop, fix his disorder. But then I think at the end, something like Batman realized like it was actually going to fix his disorder by killing the Harvey Dent part and leaving just two face. So then Batman gave it this, gave him this other thing that, that basically kept him in the state that he is in the, uh, the, the sort of multiple personality state that he is. But yeah, but like the two face personality is, I mean, it's, it's literally like the opposite of the Harvey Dent personality. So I, I just like that, that he was really almost like the Batman of law enforcement. It's similar in, in how Jim Gordon is like the Batman of, of the police. Uh, Harvey Dent was the Batman of the DA's office, essentially. And in year one, they all end up kind of working together. Um, so the fact that he ends up becoming one of Batman's greatest villains and it makes so much sense with once you realize the abuse, it's kind of like kind of reminds me a little bit, although they're very different characters, of course. But um, I think there's similar reasons that I like them. It reminds me a little bit of the Hulk character where this Hulk, you know, yeah, the radiation is what. Oh, man, that that does. That does make some sense. And we did cover that, yeah. you know, um, the Hulk, you know, Bruce Banner's childhood way back in like episode five, six. Yeah. Yep, indeed. Yeah, so like I mean, the Hulk personalities were were they already existed inside Bruce Banner because of all the abuse that he had received as a child. So he kind of these personalities formed inside him. You ever seen the movie Sybil? Did you ever watch that in school? No. What was that? It's crazy. I couldn't even believe they showed it to us in school. It's about this girl. It's played uh, she's played by who the fuck plays her? Some old actress that I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, basically it's it, but it's based on a real story about this girl who was abused. Like, and she had like 27 different personalities that were documented by like psychologists. It's a really famous case um, because like all the different forms of abuse created these different personalities and she would escape into these different personalities to sort of escape the abuse. Um, so like one personality would be abused and then it didn't want to remember the abuse anymore. So it would go to another personality. Oh, it's like, a, it was it's just, like a crazy Jane. Yeah, pretty much. So that, yeah, that's, that's Harvey Dent with just one extra personality. So it's not, not quite as extreme as Sybil, but yeah, similar to the Hulk in the fact that like this two faced personality, it existed in Harvey Dent due to his childhood abuse and only came out with the acid attack in the courtroom when he then sort of became, um, you know, uh, a crime Lord as well. And I like that, like 
Like, even though he has the two different personalities, he has the Harvey Dent personality and the Two-Face personality. The Two-Face personality has the intellect and the knowledge of the Harvey Dent personality. So he can think like a DA, he can think like law enforcement, and they always use that as a way that Two-Face is sort of able to outsmart regular law enforcement. Of course, Batman will always end up up fixing it in the end. But I, I really like that aspect of his character, too, that he's not just a random crime boss. He's actually like the ultimate crime boss because he's literally is doing the exact opposite of what he was doing in his pre two face uh, persona. Um, so I, 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 just, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if it says something about me. I like characters with, um, <laughs> I don't know. This sounds bad. I like characters that were abused and have multiple personalities as a result of that abuse. You should see somebody about that. <laughs> I should probably work some things out myself as well. Uh, I don't think I was abused. I think I had great parents, but who knows? Maybe there's some personalities uh, residing in here. Just waiting for the right moment Stay to come away out. From we'll acid see. baths. Indeed. But uh, that's as far as I'm going to go there on my honorable mention, because it is just a mention. But that is my number four is Two-Face. Well, um, now we're actually into the top three. And I I can probably say that my guys, I'm I'm having to pull them up right now because I really want to pay attention to this order. Um, Originally, I was going to say... They, there is no order. I just picked the three and they could wane and, you know, my favoritism, you know, depending on my mood and stuff like that. But I think I really did get them down to an order. So my number three is a definitive number three. And I hope it really kind of leads down to who my number one will be. My number three is Lex Luthor. Now, a lot of people, they think of him as, you know, like the golden age, you know, mad scientist, bald, evil, hates hates Superman scientist. And then we get into the post-crisis era where he is really established as the evil head of Lex Corp. What, what has always struck me is the fact that Lex is one of those villains who always really does. He does tell you what his intentions are. He really does come clean with why he is the way he is and why he does what he does. Um, While he definitely has more of this public persona where he just try and, uh, you know, really tries to make himself into a hero of the people, even so much so becoming president of the United States, as we covered in our public enemies episode. Um, Lex mm-hmm. also has the ability for great heroism, and that's what's really thrown people off for like four or five years. Lex Luthor actually just gave up trying to fight Superman. He was like, you know what? I could do so much good. I'm going to actually be a hero and join the Justice League. And, you know, for a while, you actually saw like this really great uh, self-exploration amongst Lex Luthor where you saw deep remorse for what he did. You actually saw that. Lex is is doing this not because he has a secret plan or he wants to one-up Superman, but because he actually realizes that a lot of his villainy early on was a waste of time. That's what makes his recent descent back into being a villain in the DC Universe almost more tragic because – he, he he did so willingly. He did so with full intent. Um, one of my favorite Lex Luthor stories is in the original All-Star Superman from the mid-2000s, where after he creates basically this formula to give him Superman's powers, um, basically he, he, he messed up on something. So what it does is it keeps expanding his power set almost to the point where he becomes almost godlike and he can see all the truth and all the answers to life and existence himself. And at one point it almost cripples him. And, um, at one point he starts, uh, after a fight with Superman, he starts yelling at him. He's like, all these things, all these amazing things I could have done without you. You were the reason why I did this. I hate you. And Superman comes down and he looks at him and he's like, that's the sad thing about this Lex. You could have always done that. You could have been the hero. You could have been better than me, but you chose not to. And Lex Luthor looks up at Superman and he says, you're right. And he gives up. And it was in that moment. It's like, you know, Lex had all these excuses. Lex let his ego really run him. But Lex did all of this by choice. And it's really sad because I think we could look at many people throughout history. Many people were, were like, oh, that that lost potential. Oh, what if they had used their their villainy for good in many cases? What could the world have been like? And with Lex Luthor, we, we do kind of see that. So I think a lot of people think that he's sometimes somewhat of a two-dimensional villain. But, uh, I mean, when, when Lex is done right, I, and, you know, 
whether he's canceled or not, because he's a freak of nature, I will credit um, Kevin Spacey with probably being the best on screen Lex Luthor. Uh, his portrayal of Lex Luthor in uh, Man in a uh, uh, Superman Returns is probably the, the best version I've seen. Um, obviously, Kevin Spacey's never coming back for obvious reasons, but uh, you know, I think I don't think Lex gets enough credit. So Lex is my number three. The only thing I'm going to challenge you on here. And honestly, I've never seen that Superman Returns movie, so I can't judge really? Kevin Spacey's performance. I imagine it, uh, it's amazing because he is an amazing actor, despite his uh, perhaps illicit... Before he activity. was sexually assaulting minors. Yeah, and threatening people and probably having them killed and all that stuff uh, before all that. Um, Did Kevin Spacey threaten to kill somebody? You didn't see that? Oh, no, he, he has... A, look, this is, this is kind of a tangent. Oh, he has he not so, directly... He so perfect for Lex Luthor, then. He did this video where after like a, like um, House of Cards was he got booted from House of Cards. Oh, was it the Thanksgiving video? You didn't think I would be gone. Right. He did this video in character and then like not long. He, like, he didn't directly threat, but he did say something like you'll regret challenging me or something like that. And then within like a couple oh, yeah. months, you'll rue the day you tried to yeah. come after me. And like two of his accusers died in the next couple months. One had like a car accident and one was like a mysterious death. So Man, that's some Hillary he might be shit. the he might be more of a portrayal of a villain than you could even imagine. I uh, I, I'm, but not, I'm not making any accusations, Mr. Spacey. Um, <laughs> I don't actually have any knowledge of this. This is pure speculation. I just read it on entertainment website. I don't know anything, we but about comic books. <laughs> we are just comic book guys. We don't know anything. Um, we have no other interests or lives. But uh, I, I will say to me, Lex Luthor is and always shall be Gene motherfucking hack. You know, I I can't I, I don't have the the spacey now I'm, I might have to go watch. How do you like those movies, by the way? Here here's the thing about or is it just one movie? Was it, there one it was, or two? It was just but... Superman Returns. Here's the thing that a lot okay. of people don't understand. Superman Returns is the final chapter of the Richard Donner Superman series. Is it supposed to be? It's supposed to be, and it's supposed to be that same Superman and that same Lex Luthor, just with different actors. Yes. Oh, so I didn't know that. If you if you watch it, understanding that this is a continuation of the Richard Donner Superman series of you know Christopher Reeves and Gene Hackman and everyone else, if you see them as that as that continuing story, you will love it. If you don't understand that, you will be confused. You know, this movie came out during my dark period, and not only was I not really watching reading comics then, I wasn't really. I can't say I wasn't watching movies, but I wasn't, I just wasn't into comic book type stuff. I don't know what happened. Same thing with wrestling. I just went through this, this 10 year period where I just rejected all the stuff that I was into as a kid. I don't know if I just thought I should, cause I was in my, you know, getting older or whatever, or I, I don't know what it was, but for whatever reason, this, this did come out in that time period. So I, I never saw it. So, um, so, th- so this is like a sequel to, this is a direct sequel then to Superman Four: the quest for peace. Or are we pretending that sup- that like Superman, yeah, four didn't okay, <laughs> so if you want to be real nitpicky, just pretend four never happened and just go straight from three where he fights Zod. Was it was it th- was mm-hmm. it two or three where he fights Zod? It's two where he fights. Th- this one actually says that the that it's ignoring the events of Superman. I'm looking at the Wikipedia now. It ignores the events of Superman three, Supergirl, which I did not know was a movie. Apparently that came out in 1984, and Superman four: The Quest for Peace. So this is basically Superman three essentially because if you're if you're ignoring those other yeah, movies. that's that's the best thing to do. So go back and maybe watch a little Richard Donner Superman. Maybe catch the one of uh, with the OG zod and everyone and i think you will appreciate um superman returns I, I i could probably say that while a lot of the early 2000s late 90s superhero films were made for a mass audience there's a reason why a lot of people didn't like superman returns it's because it was made for the people that like the donner movies and it was really made for the for the comic book diehards otherwise if you do not love superman i think i understand why a lot of people did not like superman returns Fair enough. Well, I'll add it to my list because I'm I am curious about it, and, I, and especially now I'm a little curious about uh, Kevin Spacey's performance. But to me, it's going to take a lot to top Gene Hackman. Hackman, that's all I'm going to say. But it is not going to take a lot to top Jesse Eisenberg, who I generally like, but terrible, terrible casting for for Lex Luthor. Just I think the worst part of Zack Snyder's Snyder's movie is honestly casting wise. I feel like the Eisenberg was the same as like uh, Ezra Miller. I feel like those were studio compromises. Because originally Snyder wanted Brian Cranston to be Lex Luthor. Oh, yes. That would be amazing. Yeah, but they were like, no, this Eisenberg kid. Come on, Zach. Come on, Zach. Yeah. <sighs> Anywho. What are you going to do? 
But we got Henry Cavill, so that's all right. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to move into my number three now. And I don't have the same necessarily requirements as you do in terms of my my villains having to be extra nasty, extra truly villainy. Although, yeah, well, I'll just get into it because this one kind of goes back and forth. But to me, it, it is a lot of it is nostalgia. At least my number three is very much a nostalgia pick. But I think he also really holds up as a top villain. Uh, probably if you look at any list, he's going to be somewhere up there in the top five, I would imagine, on, on most people's comic book lists. But my number three is the one and only Victor Von Doom nemesis of the fantastic four and reed richards debuted in fantastic four number five april 1962 created by stan lee and jack kirby uh quick origin story by the way <laughs> his mother I, I think this is like an updated version of the origin because I, I don't know i don't think they got into this in the very when they first introduced the character but the current origin of victor von doom um is that his mother was killed in a bargain with mephisto gone wrong now we all know bargains with mephisto Pretty much always go wrong. Go uh, but right, Mark. Yeah, but Victor Von Doom learned that a very at a very young age. It's also what interested him in the dark arts. And um so what I like about Victor Von Doom is that he is he is he has many things at once. He is an iron fisted ruler of uh, of uh, Latveria. Um, he is a genius, which I always like, similarly to Reed Richards. He is a time traveler. He has created time machines. He is a, a relative, an ancestor, I guess you would say, of Kang the Conqueror. Um, and um, he also has like somewhat of a sympathetic backstory in some ways, because for so long he was obsessed with sort of like re, you know, rematerializing his mother. I think his scars actually came from an experiment he was doing um, in like when he was in college with Reed Richards where he's trying to like basically bring her back from the ethereal plane or whatever you want to call it. And Reed was like, I, I think he got some settings wrong. He's like, fuck you asshole. And then the thing exploded and burned his face. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's a villain. He does villainous things, but he's a villain who has pride, who has honor, who cares about his nation. He might have used violence to overthrow the leadership of that nation and become an, an iron, you know, iron fisted King. But nonetheless, he does care about his nation. He cares about his mother. Um, and in general just wants to rule the world though um although he, he definitely well, i don't know if he, he's not really a rule the world guy as much as rule his own world guy sometimes which he tried to become god mark not yeah, once well, not you know, twice he tried to do so four times <laughs> sometimes you got to try to become a god to make an omelet something like that i think that's the old phrase as they say in latveria you fix domestic politics with godhood <laughs> And, um, but yeah, I mean, doom was pretty much one of the first villains I was exposed to. My very first book I ever laid a hand hands on was the fantastic four. Uh, so I quickly came to know Victor Von doom as their arch nemesis, but you know, Victor Von doom is one of those villains that sometimes ends up teaming up with the heroes, whether it's uh, maybe for some brief moments in like an infinity war, infinity crusade type thing or, or secret wars. Although he was in the latest rendition, he is kind of like the, the main villain of secret wars. Um, but I, I like that he can serve different roles. Like, I mean, he even became iron man at one point, the, the infamous iron man. Um, he's had a lot of different roles and I think it's just the character. I, I think I enjoy the character of Victor Von doom more so than I necessarily do of Dr. Doom. Cause Victor Von doom is kind of, you know, D Dr. Doom is almost, an aspect of the Victor Von Doom character, which we see in many different forms. Uh, and even to this day, sometimes he's teaming up with Reed Richards. Uh, I think in a recent storyline with by, uh, I think it's Dan Slott that's writing it now. Um, he, or, or is it Chip Sadarsky? One of those guys. Um, and, uh, but yeah, he was even just, he invited the fantastic four to his wedding. Now, of course he did it with some villainous intent, but there's always this sort of, you know, they're friends, but they're enemies, but they're friends, but they're enemies, but they're best friends, but they're really enemies kind of thing going on. Which he's like, he's like Dwight Schrute. That's what I've always compared him to. <laughs> yes. If Jim Halpert I mean, is Mr. Fantastic, then Dr. Doom is Dwight Schrute. That is a pretty damn good comparison, actually. And uh, maybe he's a slightly more evil, slightly more competent Dwight Schrute, but that's that's not bad. You know, they're they're like they're like 
best frenemies, you know, like they almost need to have each other to battle and play off of. And that's what I really appreciate about, about the, the doom character and the fact that he just ties in so much to, uh, Marvel lore. He ties into the Rama Tut stuff, uh, and a big fantastic four story where they go back in time. Um, he also ties into future stuff with Kang, which ends up tying into the past and yada, yada, yada. And he's definitely just a huge part of, of Marvel history. You can't really tell the story of the history of the Marvel universe without talking about Victor Von Doom. So that is why he is my number three. How, how do you feel about what Stan Lee once said, where he was like, I don't, I don't see Victor Von Doom as a, uh, as a villain, but as a sympathetic antagonist. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just depends on the writer and the story, but I think that's, I mean, as the, as the guy that created him, I think he'd be the foremost expert. And, and yeah, I mean, he was, he's someone you can feel sympathy for how he got to where he is. He wasn't just born evil. He's not just trying to randomly conquer the world, although he might ne- try to become a God to achieve certain ends now. And then, um, these things happen. It's the Marvel universe. You gotta do what you gotta do. He just really wants to bang his best frenemy's wife. That's what it comes down yeah. to. That's what's always come down. Uh, pretty much the entire like first 50 issues of Fantastic Four, every concept is about every conflict is someone wanting to bang Sue. Ben Grimm wants to bang Sue. Victor Von Doom wants to bang Sue. Namor wants to bang Sue and probably succeeded. Oh, Namor totally did. He totally did. Oh yeah, we know that. Um, so yeah, that is my number three. What about, uh, I think we're back to your number two now. My number two. So Mark, I think I've brought him up once or twice. I actually did a Remso rant episode way under back on Patreon. So folks, if you want to listen to me, give a full history of this guy and why I love him. Uh, you can go back into the Patreon archives and check out that Remso rant. I am talking about the hood. The hood Parker Robbins is one of those obscure Marvel Knights limited series characters that was brought up during the early two thousands, but was quickly kind of forgotten given a retcon and ultimately Parker Robbins was just a mugger. He was a bank robber. He was just a low life criminal from New York and he always wanted to aspire to do more. He didn't even really want to be a bad guy. He was just a high school dropout who fell out, who fell in with the wrong people and ultimately just led a life of lots of regret. So what he realized was if he's not going to get any type of second chance, he might as well be the biggest badass in crime in the Marvel universe. So what he did was he found this enchanted hood, which was actually um, his way of transforming into a giant demon monster and getting a bunch of other crazy powers. And what he did immediately was he tried to take out all the other crime bosses in New York in order to eventually go up against the Kingpin. Not only does he succeed in that, and not only does he become one of the new Avengers most like dangerous villains, but he became an existential crisis to the Marvel universe. He worked with Loki and got access to Norn stones, which made him, uh, you know, like, uh, like dangerous enough to like freak Thor out. Uh, he was, he became so powerful with his demonic powers that he even was in the running to become the next sorcerer Supreme after Dr. Strange lost that title and the Brian Michael Bendis new Avengers for a bit. And even after he was arrested, by, um, I think it was, uh, oh yes, uh, he, he also managed to become quickly part of Norman Osborn's cabal uh, during the Dark Reign era, so he instantly became like an A-list villain overnight, but eventually um, he loses to the New Avengers, gets arrested. In prison, he basically works with a bunch of other prisoners to have them go out and get all their lackeys to go and steal the Infinity Stones, and Parker Robbins even becomes capable of planning this giant heist to get the infinity gauntlet from the Illuminati. And uh, eventually like every Marvel hero basically has to team up. And I think they even bring in Thanos at one point. They're like, Thanos, we even need you to help grab this guy. Um, <laughs> we know you try to do the whole gauntlet King and killed half of everybody, but we, we need you here. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like Thanos. This is so bad. We need you. So eventually, th- although they even do that in infinity war, like in the same series, they, they have to bring in Thanos to, uh, to help them out. But yeah, yeah. Because, uh, because Nebula goes crazy, but basically, yeah. um, you know, w- within probably five, six years, years Parker Robbins the hood goes from like you know robbing liquor stores to threatening the entire universe and uh, he's been kind of quiet since they brought everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Him out here and there. He hasn't quite been the same, but the hood was just such a scrappy, you know, uh, he, he's like, he, he, I mean, you, you got to commend a guy who goes from nothing to threatens existence. There's something like about that where you're like, you know, I, I've seen the hustle and yeah, he's a murderous psychopath, but he's a cool murderous psychopath who almost destroyed the universe. So to go from liquor store to infinity gauntlet, Parker Robbins, the hood is definitely my number two. Well, this is one character that I cannot comment on because as, as I've looked up here while we're talking, he didn't debut till 2002. Right around the time, you know what happened when the dark period began. So I know nothing. In fact, maybe this is a good uh, candidate for an upcoming What Mark Missed, uh, the Patreon show where I go back and read stories I missed. Maybe you can toss me the best hood story or a, a hood origin story, whatever you, whatever you think I should read. Oh, and, and I'll review that one for patrons. I'll toss that you'll, out there right you'll now. You'll love um, him. Because I got nothing else to say about it other than I respect your opinions, Ramzo. But uh, I have a feeling that my number two is going to be a very similar situation for you, uh, where you will probably have no idea at all about this person, uh, person, (laughs) villain, Uh, because my number two is from the pages of Eric Larson's Savage Dragon, Dark Lord slash Damien Dark Lord, depending on which version of the character uh, we're discussing here. Now, can I just confirm you have no idea anything about Dark Lord? Is that right? Yeah. Treat me like I'm stupid. Okay. Um, This is a challenge I have been somewhat looking forward to for some time is to explain the origin of Damien Dark Lord. I'm going to try to do it right now without even looking at notes. Okay. So in the Savage Dragons universe, at one point, contacts. Oh, sorry. In the Savage Dragon <laughs> universe, at one point, there was an invasion, a Mars attacks invasion. And now this is like an image wide event, actually. And it actually did tie into a lot of other image type things. Like, um, I think like uh, the, Mar- the aliens like killed Youngblood because it was right when um, Rob Liefeld was on the outs with just image. So they just like Blood. killed. Yeah, they just like got rid of Youngblood <laughs> with that event. Um, and then that that ends up leading to the Savage Dragon uh, forming the Special Operations Strike Force, which is the government team that replaces Youngblood. But anyway, uh, during that invasion, uh, the, the daughter of Super Patriot, her name is Liberty. She was taken captive by Martians and raped repeatedly by Martians. She then had a baby. Uh, this baby was born with like the exposed like Martian brain, like all the Martians have. It's, it's basically the same exact Martians from the movie Mars Attacks are tied directly into the origin of, of this uh, villain. So, uh, so that, that's where he was originally born as this, like the, the daughter, uh, the, the son of, of Liberty and a bunch of Martians that raped her. Um, so Listen, Mark, I don't know how Martian biology works, but I'm pretty sure in a gangbang, even if they get pregnant, it's still only by one Martian. I don't know either. I mean, I, I don't know how Martian sperm works or anything. I don't know. Fre- Freddy Krueger was the son of a hundred maniacs. I said, cause his mom was in the mental institution and got raped by like a hundred, hundred psychos. You know, I mean, yes, biologically speaking, a lot of things. So let's just go with this. <laughs> Biologically speaking, you are probably right. It is probably Freddy Krueger is probably just the son of one maniac, and and um, and Damien Dark Lord is probably just the son of one Mar- Martian rapist. But nonetheless, um, so this baby gets taken away, as do several other babies, by this organization known as the Covenant of the Sword. Um, they all, they also capture Savage Dragon's baby Malcolm, uh, who later becomes like the the star of the series, like literally twenty years later. Because uh, this is this is what I love about Savage Dragon is like con- continuity is like um like it's amazing the continuity like like literally he'll do things in in early issues that have that pay off 20 fucking years later and uh we're gonna look at a savage dragon story i think we're gonna push it back to january because of because of uh well i may as well take this moment i may as well take this moment while while i'm ranting while i'm side ranting about this character's origin before i forget the reason i bumped this show from next month is because we decided to do something very special this next month so i'm just gonna bust in to the middle of the show right now the breaking news announcement uh we have teased it we have discussed it we have mentioned it we have feared it but next month we will be tackling crisis on infinite earths it is crisis month in december this year and uh remzo and i that like this story you know we used to do crazy things like i think i recapped 27 issues of savage dragon in like the third uh episode of the show that's too much monster 
<laughs> just to get through that one. Uh, I don't know how I ever did that. I don't know how I did 12 issues of, of Warren Ellis' Stormwatch. Um, but I think what we've realized over the first year or so is that we are at our best at the, around the four issue range, four to six, but even the six is kind of stretching it. I think we're definitely at our best when we're doing no more than like four issues. Uh, Cause we can kind of go into the, you know, go into the detail we need to with everything, really go into our side rants and, and all that stuff. Learn to read. But um, yeah, so we don't have to do reading for you. Uh, but so we have decided to, since crisis on infinite earths is a very dense story. It's, it's 12 issues, but it's, it's 12, like, packed issues i mean so much happens there are so many characters literally like hundreds of characters we're gonna need we're gonna need jonathan hickman to toss up some flow charts for this thing to, to keep track of this thing but we're gonna have to resurrect the ghost of george perez <laughs> yeah is, is he, he's not alive <laughs> is he alive i have no idea i honestly hadn't thought about it recently i think he is i think someone even told me yeah I, i'm pretty sure he is a let's see Live research, everybody. Live with us in the moment. George Perez was born June 9th, 1954. He is still. Oh, my God. He's still alive. In fact, he looks great. There's a picture of him here in 2012. He looks he looks fantastic. He kind of looks like Lex Luthor. George, I didn't mean anything. I love you. Not only is he alive, he seems like he's got a while to go. Like, he's actually pretty young, considering you feel like he's been around forever. Like, literally forever. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I think he's got some more. I don't think he's doing any books currently, as far as I know. But he should. Definitely should be. Wow. Anyway, side side rant within a side rant within a side rant. But the first three episodes of December will be dedicated to covering Crisis on Infinite Earths. So tune in for that, my friends. We also have a very amazing graphic that we'll be sharing around uh, from our friend Dan Smots, who uh, does just fantastic work. If you ever need graphic stuff done, you're going to ask us how to contact him and we'll we'll hook you up for a small fee. Yeah. Um, But anyway, back to Damien Darklord. Speaking of confusing um, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes, Martian rape baby. This is only the beginning, though. Um, so it turns out that as as these things happen, Dark Lord is actually like a time traveler because he has these crazy abilities. Because he he not only has like the superpower and super strength uh, that Liberty has passed down to her from her superpoweredness, but he also has all this like Martian blood in him. And the result is just like this incredibly powerful character who has like amazing like psychic abilities. He can do crazy stuff with his mind. He's also a genius, so he can invent things like portals and time traveling devices. He can pretty much do it fucking all. Um. So what happened is Damien Darkler grows up, and then he then Dark Lord not Damien anymore because he's grown up, goes back in time to the 80s and he becomes a villain in the 80s and battles these heroes, Super Tough and Young Tough. Super Tough gets killed in a Negabomb explosion, which is uh, caused by Dark Lord. And Young Tough gets horribly scarred and eventually becomes the anti-hero Mace, who you may remember from that first Dragon uh, Savage Dragon story um, we looked at. Um, so so he they battle him in the 80s and they kind of like get rid of that version of Dark Lord. I don't, I don't, I don't remember if he dies or they might just send him off to another world. I think they just send him off to another world, an alternate universe. That's what it is. That alternate universe becomes dark world. Um, it's basically just this other earth. That's like off in another place. And like everything about it is bad. Like there's an evil savage dragon on that world. There's an evil, whatever. Um, so, and, but that world is like dying. So basically what dark Lord wants to do is replace earth, the, the savage dragons earth with his dark world. So he slowly starts like teleporting parts of dark world onto earth. Now this is after Damien dark Lord, the baby has been born, but nobody knows this is the same. This is a, no one knows this is related yet. So basically like dark Lord lives his whole life, lives his whole life, goes in the future, comes back to prepare for his own ascension. So he creates the covenant of the snored and kidnaps him, has himself kidnapped to prepare himself to become this villain later on. Um, and so are you confused yet? Um, eventually the special operation strike force, which is savage dragon and a bunch of other heroes that used to be part of freak force. They go to dark world to battle Dame, to battle dark Lord, adult dark Lord. Um, they are victorious in that battle and they kill adult dark Lord, adult dark Lord. He like gets trapped between this portal and it gets like cut in half. So he's dead. So they save the day. However, the day is not totally saved because later Savage Dragon does figure out that Damien Dark Lord. Oh, and, and also Dark Lord kills Savage Dragon's um, 
the mother of his child rapture in, in their, their first encounter. Um, so Savage Dragon after later learning what, what Dark Lord was all about realizes that this little baby alien guy is, grows up to be Dark Lord and grows up to kill the mother of his child. So what does Savage Dragon eventually do in a, and I'm giving away a lot of Savage Dragon plot here, but it is what it is. Uh, he goes and tries to, uh, kill this baby Dark Lord. When, the, when he does that, something crazy happens. And he, there's a huge explosion and, and Stravage Dragon wakes up on another world. What turns out that happened, what really happened there, there's multiple realities, all right? There's multiple real, realities in the Savage Dragon universe. In one reality, and oh, so another thing about Dark Lord, this shit's Dark Lord talks... Dark Lord talks to multiple other versions of himself. So he's in constant communication with other versions of Dark Lord from other different alternate realities. So they're all talking to each other. They're all, they're all plotting together, even though they're all kind of the same guy, they're all different guys, but they're all different versions of the same guy with the same goal to have Dark World be like the one world that they rule over essentially. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so Savage Dragon tries to kill Damien Dark Lord, but what really happens is on another universe in another parallel reality at the same exact time, baby Damien Dark Lord transports uh, Savage Dragon's mind to this other Savage Dragon body in the regular Savage Dragon universe. And then Savage Dragon's mind is replaced with the, the goes into the body on the other universe that's known as the savage world. And from that point on, all, pretty much all of savage dragon, even including till today takes place on that savage world. Uh, which is another thing I like about Eric Larson. He doesn't just do gimmicks like, like gimmicks matter. So like when that first happened, everybody's like, Oh, this is going to be like six issues, 12 issues. And then it becomes like the permanent place that dragon stays. So now his new history, he is this other version of dragon that was transported to this other world essentially. Um, confused yet? I'm not done. So, um, anyway, that, that is like the basic origin of, of, of Damien Dark Lord and how Savage Dragon ends up in a different body on a different universe. Uh, at the same time, um, the, the, the version of Dragon from that universe, he gets transported to Dragon's dead body in the original universe. So he's dead. Um, so basically the original Savage Dragon is in an alternate version's body for the rest of his series. Okay. Pause, 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 pause. So this is like Rick and Morty. Where they where Kinda. they fuck up their world, so they go to the other world where they died, and they replace the dead Rick and Morty, and every season has taken place in that new world. Pretty much, yeah, okay. that's pretty accurate, actually. Uh, that's actually a good way to to understand it for Rick and Morty fans. Uh, so yeah, the rest of the, it's not that his world was fucked up; it wasn't at first. He just ended up in this other world and didn't know how to get back. Eventually, they find a way for him to get back to the original world. This is like the plot of Savage Dragon One Hundred. It's like a huge story. He ends up back in the original world, but he has to go do so i forget exactly what happened he has to go back to the savage world to do some shit he gets like called back there and while he's there he defends uh he defends this i'm pretty much going into the whole history of savage dragon here but it does tie in he defends he successfully defends that savage world against this creature called universo now universal is basically he's galactus plus a celestial he looks like a celestial but he's basically galactus he goes around eating worlds um so universe he he defeats universo by using this martian shrinking ray that comes from that mars attack storyline that they, they kept the Martian shrinking ray. Uh, but meanwhile, because they're parallel earths, the universal, the universo of the other earth that a Ar- savage dragon originally comes from goes there and destroys that earth because there's no savage dragon to prevent, to, to protect that earth. That earth contains original baby, Damon dark Lord, who we assume it, it did die on that earth, that version of him, as well as Malcolm dragon, his son. Uh, however, Malcolm and another version of angel savage dragon, stepdaughter, escape into a thing and whatever. That's a whole nother thing. I'm not going to go down right now. Cause we're trying to stick, stick to Damien dark Lord here. Um, so that, that's kind of like most of Damien dark Lord's original story with, with dragon. He does later come back twice in the comics. Once is when Savage dragon. Do you know the origin of Savage dragon yet? Yes. We went over that a while ago. No, I never, I didn't tell that you was episode three. No, no, I didn't tell you the origin, like his actual, the origin that you don't know in the his beginning. His origin, is it in volume one? Well, his origin that you know. Goddamn retcons. His origin, it's not a retcon, it's just a reveal of the origin. We, we, he just woke up in a burning field. This is like lost. It takes for freaking ever, doesn't it? Savage Dragon woke up in a burning field, and that is his original origin, but he has a real origin of how he got there. I'm not going to give it away, because I actually plan to do an episode about that, so I'm going to leave that to the side. But anyway, there there is another storyline where a teenage version of Damien Dark Lord comes back and actually sends Savage Dragon back in time to fix something and actually saves him by doing that because he sees like Dragon as a bigger part of the, some story or something. Listen, I don't know. Mark, I'm not I'm not 
pro-abortion personally. <laughs> but, but Damien is a candidate. But if they're going back in time and doing shit, maybe they should give Liberty the choice. You know what? That's part of the storyline, believe it oh or not. My because God, no. part of the storyline no. is that Liberty was Liberty is a concern, like uh, the, you know, Liberty is like a conservative, like and doesn't is against abortion, and that's why she didn't have the abortion. It was a part of the storyline <laughs> where people were like, "Hey, maybe you should abort this Martian rape baby," and she's like, "No, I don't believe in that shit." So what if he grows up to destroy the multiverse? Well, they, they didn't know that at the time. Yeah, you're right. Maybe they should go back in time. Yeah, they don't have. They, not all these characters have ready access to time travel, like Damian Dark Lord does. But that's about it. Like no one else is a time. They, they can't do an Avengers Endgame time heist. I mean, they probably could. Maybe he'll get there eventually. Um, but they, well, there's a lot. There's actually a couple instances of time travel in Savage Dragon. We'll be talking about more. I have so many things I want to say, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to stop while I'm ahead. Well, I'm pretty much done. There's one more time that Dark Lord appears. I don't know if he'll be back or not, but it, it, to me, this is why he's like the Savage Dragon's ultimate villain because he ties in so much to such different aspects of the Savage Dragon mythos and universe. But he was also the villain that inevitably led to. Spoiler alert, Savage Dragon's death, um, which I could go into that whole thing, too. Um, did I spoil? I didn't spoil that really for you, right? You look very surprised. No, yeah, I know, because the current because the current dragon is Malcolm, his son. Yes, exactly. Malcolm so dragon. So basically, at one point in, in the comics, Savage Dragon loses his powers and he's just like a regular dude with a fin for a while. Uh, but there's this thing where other people can inject Savage Dragon's blood and it usually kills them like they get Savage Dragon's powers and it kills them. And then so Savage Dragon's like in his this final battle with Dark Lord, he's like, fuck this. I got to take Dark Lord on. I'm going to inject my own blood, my own old blood before from when I had powers into my body. He powers up and this epic battle does eventually kill Dark Lord again, a different version of Dark Lord, because this is a multiversal thing. Um, this is when all the <laughs> this is when this actually ties into crisis. There is something there's a storyline called the merging of multiple Earths on Savage Dragon. And this was <laughs> this was the culmination of it. It's actually really funny and, and really well done. Um, but yeah, in that battle, he, he reefs Savage Dragons up for the last time, basically kills, kills Dark Lord. And then he fucking explodes because it happened to him, too, from his own blood. And that's how Savage Dragon dies. Anyway, that's why I love Damien Dark Lord, because he just ties into like literally like 15 years of Savage Dragon history. And he's just like a really enjoyable character and he can be used for many different things. Like at one point, it's like you almost cheer for him when he shows up in this one storyline where he ends up sending Savage Dragon back in time to fix all this shit. And I, to me, as a, as a lifelong Savage Dragon fan, to me, he is like the ultimate Savage Dragon villain because uh, he's just tied into so much of of what's happened to Savage Dragon. Like he sent him to an alternate reality where his entire rest of the series has taken place since then. So. And he, he also ties into uh, Malcolm Dragon because they were both babies at the same time. Um, so they kind of have a parallel story. Um, very complicated, very absurd, but just very awesome, too. So my number two, uh, basically just because he is so tied in. Wait, he's wait. Oh, wait I'm sorry. I just have to reiterate. Yes. He's just your clarifying number, questions. He, he's, are he's not your he, he's your number two. He's my number two. Oh, my God. Are you afraid of my number one? Yes. It's not going up in the complicated scale. Don't worry. Okay. Because this sounds like a number one pick. I, I mean, I, I honestly did weigh it back and forth, but well, we'll get there. I'll explain why my number one is my number one when we get there. I, maybe this should be my number one. It's arguable. Like I said, I, I struggled with this a lot. I struggled to whittle it down to three. That's why I made it four. That's why I'm like, I'm doing an honorable mention. But honestly, I, I could do a list of 30. Like I could, I could do, we could do 10 episodes breaking down our, our top 50 villains and I, I would never get bored. Yeah. So. Killer strike being one of them. Killer uh, strike being number 49. <laughs> yes. Oh man. My, my number one seems weak compared to that, but my number <laughs> one is another Robert Kirkman creation. I'm talking about robot from Invincible. Oh, nice. Ro- That's not weak at all, dude. I love robot. Yeah, ro- robot, uh, robot, um, robot, robot. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So robot, um, like he genuinely starts heroic at the beginning of Invincible, but just like all my other guys, you know, he he takes this very direct turn towards villainy. So when he does it, there's no going back uh, from his cloning of Rexplosion to his, you know, um, plots to kill most of Earth's heroes. You know, the ones that Omni-Man didn't kill uh, to his uh, strange, twisted love affair with a uh, beast girl. Um, Robot is like a mix of, you know, I, I want to say uh, Ultron, Vision 
a little bit of Ultimate Reed Richards, if you're all familiar with the with the maker character from Marvel Comics. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Robot is one of those guys where you, you're afraid of him because you know he's capable of almost anything and he always has a plan. So when Invincible eventually does defeat him and Beast Girl later on in the series, you're almost at this point where you're just like, I can't really tell if he's dead or not. And while, of course, there were some moments earlier on where they think they kill Robot and they don't really kill robot you just get to the point where robot is almost more of an ultron than ultron is and uh you know it's just that that maniacal hatred of humanity and willingness to literally kill your friends and family in order to get what you want um ultron is i'm sorry uh <laughs> i almost said ultron like uh robot is ultron if ultron knew what humanity what was really to be human but absolutely hated every part of it it wasn't just part of his programming it was part of his identity so uh robot from invincible is my number one comic villain excellent excellent choice and i like i also like that robot is like actually just like this weird tiny like thing that can't move in a jar in reality yeah a little little like at least one version of well, at least before he goes into uh, what's his name, that one guy's body, the bomb guy. You know, you know, he looks like he looks like um, he, he looks like the little like chest baby thing from Total Recall. Yes, that is that is exactly Come what here. Robot Let actually me touch like. your face with my little <laughs> old baby hands. Now, I, I think Robot's a great choice, and uh, he might have been my number five if I if I did a top five. Uh, I think he's just a fantastic villain, and I, I think I think the best villains are like are ones you really get to know and you get to understand. So even if they're doing evil, dastardly shit, you they become like a, I think that's what the thing for me is like villains that are just are completely tied into the main characters, whether it's into their origin or their story to the point that they're kind of inseparable. And like a lot of people might say that, you know, like, like Joker and Batman are, are inseparable, especially if you buy the part of, you know, that in some versions where it's kind of implied Joker might have had something to do with Batman's death, um, depending on what you're reading. Batman's parents' death. Batman's parents. Yeah. Batman's parents' death. Um, But I mean, to me, like two face is, tied into him from the very beginning. Well, I, I guess if Joker was involved in Batman's parent, that that would have been the very beginning, but I don't think he really was supposed to be in any kind of can- comics. Canon. When, when it comes to, you know, like the red hood origin version, which is now, I guess the Canon version, like that is somewhat tragic because the Joker really didn't want to become a criminal, but like with Harvey Dent, I mean, I mean him turning into two face and everything like that is Shakespearean tragedy. Um, So that brings me to my number one, who I think is, you know, is he's, he's as ying, to the a hero's yang as you can possibly be. My number one villain is Magneto. Um, I, and to me, this is like, this is one villain that even more so than a Dr. Doom or, or a robot, I think that you really can sympathize with a lot. I mean, he grew up uh, in Nazi Germany. His parents were murdered by Nazis. Uh, he discovered his mutant power, like basically latching out at, at Nazis that were hunting him. Um, so all good stuff from here uh, was, you know, was a friends of Professor X. I, I think that the analogy, he's like the Malcolm X to Professor X. No, oh, the Malcolm X to Professor X's Martin Luther King. There you there you go. There you go. Uh, and um, yeah, and I, I just think that all and, and this is consistent with Magneto. Now, when he when he first comes into the comics, he debuts in uh, I think it was X-Men number one, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. X-Men number one created by Jack, Jack Lee and Stan Kirby by Stan wow. Kirby and Jack Lee. Well, I just did it again. The <laughs> just of artists, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. <laughs> Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, correct? And yeah, I mean, he has been just inexorably linked to the X-Men from the beginning. You can't have an X-Men storyline without somehow bringing Magneto in. And I do like that he has even more so than Victor Von Doom, who he might team with the Fantastic Four once in a while. He's never really really part of them though like they always know it's like a temporary thing like like magneto has actually had his moments of full heroism where he really joined the x-men he was a leader of the x-men at one point he was a leader of the new mutants at one point this poor motherfucker they turned him into a goddamn baby remzo they turned him into a baby how am i not supposed to have sympathy with, with for him he's got some grievances he has legitimate grievances he has legitimate grievances not just against humanity overall for you know the things that have happened to mutants and what he's seen 
Ryan growing up, um, you know, in, in Oshawa, it's essentially he's, he's, he knows the, the, the cruelty that humanity, um, is capable of, and he's seeing it happen again now with mutants. And that's his motivation the whole time. Um, now we're not going to go into Hickman X-Men stuff where him and professor X are just on the same page and whatever, we're not going to go to hashtag but, fascism. Hashtag, hashtag fascism. But, you know, to me, Magneto is the ultimate villain because even at his most dastardly, he even still kind of has a heart. Like, even when he's doing dastardly stuff, he will still kind of, like, spare people. Like, he, he won't go as far. I mean, he, he has killed innocents. Don't get me wrong. But he will often kind of, like, back off on Professor X sometimes. Um, you know, even, you know, and then, you know, I think he's had his mind wiped multiple times by professor X. I mean, he has had bad shit happen to him. And to me, he's, he's always acting. I'm not saying he always does the right thing, but he's always acting with, he's never just acting out of pure malice. He's always acting because it, it, he believes that his actions are going to lead to something better for the people. Magneto, Magneto never does anything without a reason to do it. Correct. Yes. He, he responds to things that happen to him. Like, I mean, even that, in that fatal attraction storyline, we looked at, you know, like, like they come after him, like, like he's just chilling in his freaking, uh, he's just chilling up in his satellite and like, they go after him. Uh, so, I mean, and now, you know, you could say he had a loose affiliation with the acolytes who were going and killing people in hospitals, yada, 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 whatever. But the point is no matter what, you can always see the humanity in him. You can see the person that wants to be the good person. And to me, unlike your, maybe your version, of a villain who the best villain is just the most evil and dastardly to me the best villain is the one that just it, it almost could have been the hero you know he he's maybe just one little event away from actually being the hero because at his core he has good motivations even if he ends up doing sort of dastardly things to to get to certain ends um but to me magneto is just has stood the test of time um he's always an effective character when i when i'm reading x-men from the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or today uh i am still seeing mag maybe not today because we're in the hickman verse now but um almost till today uh to me magneto is is consistently you know, he cannot be separated from the X-Men, from the storyline, from Professor X. Uh, it's a yin and yang. And to me, that that's what makes the best villains. So he's my number one. Although, honestly, with uh, how much I ex broke down Dark Lord's origin, um, you could re you could really make the case that maybe I should have made him number one. But to me, Magneto has always been the best villain. Well, the only question is, are you team Ian or team Michael in terms of the actors to play Magneto on screen? Ian McClellan or Michael Fassbender? Um, I, I, I think they're both great. I think they both do an, an amazing job. I'm, I'm slightly partial to the Ian McClellan version just cause you know, I'm slightly more partial to those movies overall. Um, uh, but in a bubble, I don't know in a bubble, it might be really close. I like Ian McClellan just cause he seems like more of the older Magneto, which is kind of how I see Magneto. Um, shit. He's, he's in world war two. He's gotta be pretty old. Um, but I mean, Fassbender's awesome. Like he does maybe the second, it's, it's like a one and one a for me, honestly. But if, I think if I was forced to choose, I'd choose McClellan. I hear you. I hear you. What about you? Uh, I mean, I, I look at the first class era of X-Men films and I see them as, as Magneto's stories, like almost like the first couple X-Men films are almost always exclusively about Wolverine. You know, mm -hmm. they, they really put Magneto front and center. I mean, for, for him, for first class, a film that people really did not expect to be good. Um, I mean that it, it, it just, it, it made him almost like James Bond level cool. That was how awesome they made him. And even though the, the X-Men films after Days of Future Past definitely waned, I mean, certainly no one's asking for another, uh, you know, Apocalypse or Dark Phoenix. Um, I mean, it was never it. it I'll, I'll even say this for all the actors in that. It was never any of the actors fault. It was always Fox's fault. So, you know, I, I'm probably team Fastbender. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can't argue with either either one. Um, what about, what about your portrayal, your portrayal? What about the portrayal of robot in the invincible cartoon? How do you think that compares to his portrayal in the comics? Uh, I, I think they're able to compress a lot of the story elements without losing the depth of what's going on because they certainly, uh, move up the pace for robots descent into villainy. 
but it doesn't make it any less horrifying when he really does. And we haven't even really seen him go full villain yet. We're only seeing the subplot of Robot becoming the person he will eventually be. So I think Invincible Season 2, uh, I, I think they're really going to uh, move up on the, the Robot versus everyone uh, era of Invincible. And it's going to be, if Season 1 was as bloody as it was, could you imagine what it'll be when Robot goes full psycho? Absolutely cannot wait for it. Uh, I think- I think Invincible is, I, I don't know, I don't know if I want to go as far as the best adaption of all time to, to the, the um, animation, because I did see, uh, I think I, I mentioned this last episode, I did watch Batman Year One, that adaptation. Oh, you that, liked it? Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's almost better because it is, it's kind of panel for panel, but expanded. So you see, instead of just one punched fight with Catwoman, you see this whole, this whole long drawn out scene with, uh, you know, with Bruce fighting Catwoman for that first time. And then with Brian Cranston playing Gordon, mm-hmm. you, you, Perfect you can't, you can't look at Jim Gordon without thinking of Brian Cranston now. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. No, I think it was fantastic. And, and just in terms of overall adaptations, I mean, I think X-Men, the animated series is more of a nostalgia pick. Like when I go back and watch it now, it's, it's good, but kind of cheesy, but Batman, the animated series holds up. And so that would be like my one and one a and invincible probably needs to, you know, stand the test of time a little more to, to be able to hold a candle to uh, the animated series, but, but it's right up there. And I think the portrayal of robot was just, they did it in a way where they kind of sped up the storyline. Like, like you get, you you see more about robot and you kind of like, know he's kind of a villain even by the end of this first season of invincible. Whereas it took, it took a long time in the comic they, but i mean this issues. is issues yeah so but this is a you know this is an animated series we're probably not going to get 80 episodes so i see why they had to to speed that up a little bit but, but for some reason it didn't feel rushed to me it actually felt natural for the pace of the show uh so i'm super excited for season two but yeah i think they they did an absolutely fantastic job of that and um and speaking of animated series i just found out that this is a thing um, I mean, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't know I could watch it. There was actually a Savage Dragon animated series. I think it was maybe a season it, or two. It was, uh, it was on MTV. I think it was our friend Kyle so. in the Second Brick Comics fan zone that brought it up. Mm-hmm. It's on Peacock to be watched. Oh, have you so watched it? I have not. I mean, like, I watched it a little of it when I was a kid, but I, I really barely remember it. So I'm kind of curious. I, I, I doubt it's great, but I am curious to go back to it. Maybe I'll do a little Patreon bonus where I, I go through some of those episodes. I wonder if it's going to be like a uh, Todd McFarlane spawn where you see Eric Larson at the beginning of each episode of Savage Dragon. Oh really? Is that right? I don't know. Because if you watch the spawn HBO series, um, Todd McFarlane introduced every episode. That's kind of cool. But if you have no clue who he is or don't care about spawn, you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Nice. Nice. Well, Remzo, I think that about does it for our, uh, for a little villain breakdown here. And, um, one thing I want to mention, you know, the, we, the last, uh, Wednesday of the month is typically our SBC potpourri episode where we kind of look at, uh, you know, TV, movies, comics, films, whatever we're watching and reading this month, because we're doing this Kirby club episode. Uh, and, that's a special way to give a little extra thanks to our patrons. We're actually going to have the SBC as a Patreon only show that'll probably be coming out sometime in the next week or so. Uh, so look for that one on the Patreon feed. And if you love our potpourri episodes, if you love where we talk about what books we're reading, what books we're watching, um, well, Hey, for as little as five bucks a month, you can join us this, this month on that one too. Uh, again, patreon.com slash second print pod. Remzo, anything else to, uh, it's weird to, uh, to wrap up a show without having to grade something on a number scale, but here we are. Well, you know, n- numbers, we, we don't we don't count good, as Forrest Gump would say. As always, folks, remember, please leave us a five-star rating and review. If you loved us, share amongst your friends. Never forget, the only thing you need to know, read comics and change the and world. And change the world. Good night, America. Adios. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.